Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It is May 8th, 2018. I'm Charlie Sykes, joined by J.V. Last and Ethan Epstein of the Weekly Standard. Okay, you know, first of all, I want to talk about something that I'm pretty sure I've never talked about before, that we've never discussed, because it usually is not an issue. Do people get to decide who comes to their funeral? I'm, I'm talking about the John McCain, is apparently who's planning this whole thing has decided that he wants Barack Obama, he wants George W. Bush, but he does not want Donald Trump. And yesterday there was a quote from Orrin Hatch who said, that's ridiculous that he's not inviting Donald Trump. I don't know, guys. I think that if if you're planning your own funeral, you, you damn well get to decide who comes and who doesn't come. Uh, generally, probably, and uh, I'm actually reminded of a incredibly treacly book, which I'm gonna maybe we should edit this bit out too. I have read Tuesdays with Maury by Mitch Albom. Oh God! And what Maury does is he he sets up living funerals, so he's a lot. Basically, he he invites people to come and eulogize him. It's actually kind of an act of megalomania in retrospect <laughs> uh, to eulogize him before uh, he has died, and in so doing, he gets to choose who's attending his funeral. Um, so maybe that could be john mccain's solution uh it just just organize the funeral while he's still alive well this is like everybody does the organization look if you get to plan the music and you know which priest you want to be officiating where you're going to be buried buried, why shouldn't you get to weigh in on who comes yeah i I mean isn't that you know i mean who who wants who wants somebody who's going to make everybody else uncomfortable? I mean, it's bad enough, right? Yeah, and the other thing, of course, is that were the president to attend the funeral, that would be the sum total of what the news media focused on. It would be oh, you know, what is what's Trump going to do with the funeral? What's he? Where's he going to sit? Is he going to blah blah blah? Whereas, you know, uh, hopefully the attention will be more on on the man himself uh, who will be being memorialized that day. You would think so. Well, let's uh, let's talk about uh, one of the more extraordinary stories. Um, we want to talk about uh, quick. Uh, Eric Schneiderman, uh, the uh, the Attorney General of the State of New York, is exposed in a New Yorker piece for his abusive uh, relationship with with women, and he is gone within three hours. Really, one of the more well, there have been so many spectacular falls in the Me Too movement, but he was really a liberal icon. Um, really, played a significant role. Uh, patted himself on the back as a champion of women, but apparently, turns out, in private, he likes to slap them around. <laughs> I of of all the aspects of this, I think the thing I enjoy most is the full frontal with Samantha B. Hagiographic interview with him. Oh, I didn't. Did you see, see this? No. Yeah, oh, and, and oh where you know you were going to save us from it. Boy, that didn't age well, did it? Um, it's I, I Ethan would. I, I actually have to sort of credit the left and the Democrats on this, where, you know, two years ago, people could rightfully point out the hypocrisy uh, of liberals who, you know, embrace Clintonism while also uh, positioning themselves as standard bearers of the feminist uh, cause. At this point, they were actually being pretty darn draconian on their own transgressors. I mean, Al Franken was pushed out for frankly, borderline cases. Schneiderman is arguably, you know, uh, if what he's accused of is true, it's probably worse than anything that Franken did. But If there's a border, he crossed. Yeah, I I think so. But they're actually no longer being hypocritical. They're actually sort of living by their own principles at this point. And I think that's probably the result of both the Clintons losing and being outside of public life now, but also because Trump won. Uh, You know, now they they feel like uh, now's the time to sort of take a stand against... uh, you know, the kind of action they accuse Trump of partaking in. I 
I don't want to be, uh, no, I will, I want to believe this. I want to give our progressive friends credit for this. And I will be able to do that fully when they come after somebody in a case which hurts them. Mm-hmm. And this does not. The Al Franken stuff did not. I mean, there was there was a whole debate about like you know safe, what if safe, safe Senate seat. This is a safe seat, right? You know, like because there was an actual discussion of the Franken thing. Like you know, what what would we have done if this was in a oh, purple? Oh yeah, yeah, thing? yeah, right, right, right. And it's it's easy to do these things when it's costless to you because you are actually focused on the bigger thing. We're doing this to to protect ourselves and inure ourselves and be, enable us to make the arguments against Trump and Trumpism and all that. And that's fine so far as it goes. I mean, look, yeah, they're. Getting rid of, they're extirpating bad guys. That's good, all on its yeah. own. One but, counterpoint to that, though, yeah. would be uh, Weinstein, who was a prolific fundraiser mm-hmm. for the Democrats. Actually, I believe they actually gave back the money he raised for them or, some, or some, something. Whereas the Republicans, of course, have not done that with the Steve Wynn donations. Now, you can argue whether they should, right. whether it, it makes sense to give back money just because the person later turns out to be morally compromised. But I do think that was evidence of a little action against their own self-interest. Yeah. Is, is, is it unreasonable to say that before we pat progressives on the back, uh, we ought to have at least some some token effort to revise their opinion of Teddy Kennedy after Chappaquiddick? Uh, Bill Clinton is still out there. I, I, the I guess Teddy Kennedy one is the one that hasn't – that's the, the dog that hasn't barked yet, right? I mean they've – parts of the progressive left have turned on Clinton – yeah. Already, but they haven't they haven't turned on on Kennedy and Chris is Dodd is actually still a lot. I believe he's even a major like uh, doesn't he represent the Motion Picture Association? I think <laughs> uh, which is actually all too fitting a role for him. But w- weren't he and Teddy involved in some hijinks in there? There, yeah, right. Do you remember this? Youth. Did you remember this, Charlie? I want to say it's probably from the late eighties or something. Was this the house page something scandal? Or, some, oh, no, gosh, something in a yeah, restaurant no, with a that waitress. Was, that was yeah. it, it seems like a different world at that time, and of course yeah. that, that ended up being celebrated. I guess I, maybe it's naive to think that that uh, the new Chappaquiddick movie, which I unfortunately haven't seen, but I've you know read about extensively, that that would trigger some sort of a moment where even folks on the left would go, "Wow, what does this say about uh, our willingness to look the other way?" I mean, as bad as all of these Me Too movements have been, I mean, these uh, allegations have been. You know, Teddy Kennedy does stand, uh, you know, stand out there. He's got a, you know, dead girl at the bottom of, uh, of the of the canal, and yet that hasn't happened. Here's a question, Charlie: sure. If Ted Kennedy were alive today, would he still get a pass? I mean, this is so. This is I, uh, my, yeah. my my buddy Sonny Bunch uh, has a formulation Oops. about this that you know the the left is the the only Republican the left can appreciate is a dead Republican, and the only Democrat that the left can turn on is a live Democrat. Yeah, and uh, anyway, I, I I do wonder if what is has insulated Kennedy here is the fact that he's no longer with us. Yeah, well, I do think that that's probably it, and of course, uh, but again, it's there's a, like a free shot because they don't actually put anything at risk. Um, w- one of the other indicate, by the way, counterindicator about uh, their their newfound conscience, of course, is the is is the way they the way Democrats treated Robert Menendez uh, in in New Jersey when there was a real con- you know real possibility that that if he was convicted or forced to resign that Chris Christie was going to name someone to that seat and then you know that would have been another Republican seat so I guess the the the, the, the cynicism is still is still alive and well okay I, okay know, so I, I, just, you know blame me yeah. for trying to inject a note no, of optimism I about our politics I no no I feel now I feel defeated I, I feel defeated yes okay the Schneiderman story 
the, 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 the details are graphic, but there have been so many of these details. And I, I, the, I, I just want to reflect on the – boy. I've always known that men were pigs, okay? But the men as pig monsters is really an extraordinary story. And is it, is it at some point do we all have to step back and go, okay, so things were a lot worse than we thought? <laughs> you know, I, there, there was a time when I think there was a certain amount of eye rolling on the right about uh, the playing of the victim card of women who claimed that they were harassed. But the reality of what these powerful men have been doing and it's just it crosses all political lines social lines the media politics you know any anyone want to think about the I, I tweeted out last night that between you know donald trump and michael cohen and rudy giuliani and uh and anthony weiner and and schneiderman and spitzer that new york has not been covering itself with glory and somebody you know pointed back say well you know um how, how about saying that men in general have not been covering themselves with glory well since we're all men here like what the hell ah oh, speak for yourself <laughs> one, one thing I, I identify actually, as a dragon. One thing okay. I found okay. perhaps even more affecting just because it was actually written by one of the victims was, I don't know if you saw in the New York Review of Books, there was an essay, essay by Charlie Rose's former intern. Uh, and then oh, I saw it, didn't read yeah. it. Is it good? It's a, it's a, well, for one, it's just a, such a terrifically written piece, and it renders in such rich detail what the experience of being, I mean, terrorized might be too strong a word, but, you know... Um, continually uh, harassed by Charlie Rose over a period of many years. The fact that it was written that way, I, and as opposed to sort of a clinical third-party reported story like uh, the New Yorker piece about Schneiderman, I actually found even more uh, sort of emotionally affecting. Um, and, and it actually did make me think what you're saying, Charlie, which is all of this stuff has been going on, and I've been kind of blissfully ignorant of it. I Is it everywhere, though, or is it... Is this the type of thing which you see predominantly, understanding that there are exceptions to everything, in industries and sectors where the people who are at the top of the star system get afforded things which <laughs> the stars in other industries don't? Like if like you are the button that locks the door, the Matt Lauer button. Right. Yes. <laughs> like if you're a Matt Lauer, to have a Matt Lauer button is something that you could get away with if you are in media or Hollywood and entertainment or politics, maybe, but not if you are the best salesman for yeah. catheters. The assistant manager at CVS. Yeah. I mean, right. I mean, yes. You know, yes. I, yes. I don't even and like. You're, not, and you're probably not going to be surrounded by that many, you know, beautiful, willing women or unwilling women. Yeah, or but, I mean the temptation. Okay, but I mean there is, is the, be the beauty important? thing. I would say I mean, yes, since, but that's because we these industries all self-select so, for for attractiveness. Yeah, if if you're well, a except regional, politics, <laughs> if you're a regional manager for Hardee's, you don't think that there is that this is going on um, with you know people who work for minimum wage for you know cleaning ladies, and we just don't hear about it because they're not famous and they don't have access to the kind of platforms that you know the. the that other women have. I would be shocked if it didn't happen. I, I'd be sure yeah. that. But what I'm saying is that the the rates of it, uh, I would I would guess, are different. Just because, again, the things which you are afforded to be a serial predator like Harvey Weinstein, you can have an entire universe just uh, arranged to cover for you because you work in Hollywood and the stakes are so high. That, and I don't even mean Hardee's. I just mean like pick your your generic office complex in Ohio, you know, Intertrobe or Inter, you know, Intertrobe from Office Space or something. Whoever is the best programmer there, uh, 
it just isn't going to get maybe you know, maybe they behave badly uh, maybe they don't but they are not i don't think can have the the privileges mm-hmm. that the stars do and look at it this way don't look outside of the sexual abuse and look at the <laughs> look at the non-sexual abuse that like hollywood is famous for heaping upon yeah. employees which simply wouldn't be accepted. I mean, you know, just t- take the Devil Wears Prada, Anna Wintour, you know, you could not be uh, the boss at, again, at Penetrode or whatever, you know, or whatever your generic office company is uh, and treat people that way and have people not just like flee from you constantly. You don't have people clamoring to to get into for the, the, the privilege of being, you know, screamed at and, and treated so terribly. Well, this also raises the question that, that I, I find puzzling, um, which is that why did they think they would get away with this? It, it, it is the risk and reward that, you know, I, I, I'm i just thinking back on, on, on my career. Had I been tempted to do anything like this, I hope I wouldn't do it because I'm a person of, of good character, but also because I would have that voice telling my, you know, in my, in my head, this is a career ender. You not only will lose your job, you will end up in jail. You know, why were so many of these people not deterred by by simply is it this power relationship? Do they honestly believe that they were uh, that they were masters of the universe, that they were completely protected? This would never come back to bite them. I mean, if if you're Eric Schneiderman, you're the attorney general, you're, you're living through this period where you all around you. You see people's careers going up in absolute flame, not just their careers, their lives are being ended. And yet you behave this way. Well, I mean, did they think they they weren't going to get – well, for so long, they were free to do it. Yeah. They, they did have license to do it. I mean, in retrospect now, we can look back and cite Moore's law, which I think is actually kind of an idiotic law and has proven to be not true sometimes, which says basically if something uh, can't go on forever, it won't. I, I think some things do go on forever even mm-hmm. if seemingly they, they shouldn't. And let's remember this – I would argue that the whole reason we're even experiencing all these revelations is because of one fluke of history, which is that Donald Trump was elected president. I mean, had 70,000 votes swung the other way, I think there's a very strong case to be made that Harvey Weinstein, Charlie Rose at all would not have been dislodged. I mean, for two reasons. For one, it was because the Weinstein story uh, was sort of the one that got the ball rolling, and it was precisely because Hillary Clinton had been defeated that Weinstein could be cast aside, but also because so much of this is simply a reaction to the reality of Donald Trump in the White House. I mean, it, it, it's 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 sort of a cultural counter reaction to his presidency. And okay, since I yeah yeah, since, all right, since I have you guys here, could you explain something to me? Could you explain what the rules are about cultural appropriation? I'm I'm, I'm shifting gears. Then the reason I'm asking this, of course, is there was this uh, big controversy over this this uh, lovely young woman who wore a, tri- a Chinese um, themed dress to prom, and this became a huge controversy with much generated outrage. And then last night, I'm looking at the pictures from the Met Gala, where um, celebrities and and non celebrities, people like Rihanna, uh, were you know d- dressed up in 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 Catholic bishops garb, um, dressed up like the Pope, and. I guess I'm wondering, does anybody know what these rules are about cultural appropriation and, and when it's okay and when we're supposed to be outraged? Because I'm, because I'm being hammered for asking that question. I, think, I, I, I asked it on Twitter, and I am – yo, Charlie, you don't get to have an opinion on cultural appropriation. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, sir. I did not know that there were some things I'm not allowed to talk about. So you guys – can you guys explain the cultural appropriation thing to me? 
it's confusing, and I think at this point we really should go with maybe the Iranian model and just have a mullah that issues fatwas about what is acceptable and what is not, because it seems like the rules are constantly shifting as well. Well, they're totally no, I, arbitrary. I'm, I'm in favor of that, because otherwise the alternative to the, the, the fatwas are the, these invisible tripwires. Yeah, the terror. <laughs> yeah. I, yes, yeah. I, I don't want, oh, I'm not allowed to have an opinion about that. I'm sorry. Could somebody give me a memo? Yeah, no, there is no... Everything in it is arbitrary, and this is one of the hallmarks of the sort of the the woke moment or whatever. I think we talked about this a couple of months ago. You know, are are we living through something that's just a phase and passing, or twenty years from now will we look back on this as like, hey, that was a moment when everybody sort of went crazy for ten years? Um, and what is emblematic of this craziness is how arbitrary and capricious it is. Uh, you know that you. You are an acapella group in Vermont and you wear a sombrero or something in an Instagram picture and you wind up having the, the dean of students and the president of the university, like, you know, chastising you publicly. But if you're Rihanna, it's cool. to None of it makes sense. And there is an aspect of it which is all very Alice in Wonderland, Queen of Hearts-ish to it. Uh, or, or, frankly, Reign of Terror. I mean, this is yeah. this is... I don't know. I, I resist uh, or I'm trying to resist making this sort of an ideological uh, case, which is that this is what happens when you sort of untether progressivism from any you – know, when you start going into moral relativism, you're saying there are no truths and there, there are no facts, then it, everything is just a raw exercise of power. And I think that's probably what this is about. But I don't I – don't, it goes back to the Ted Kennedy thing, right? Why is, why is uh, what Bill Clinton did terrible, uh, what, what Ted Kennedy did totally something that nobody wants to comment about? I want to, I want to talk about, uh, speaking of the reign of terror, um, the, the terror among Republicans about uh, today's primary. When, when is the primary in West Virginia? Is that today? Yes. Okay, yeah, today's primary in West Virginia. We'll get to that in a moment. Uh, today's Daily Standard podcast is brought to you by Mac Weldon, and their mission is simple, to make sure that all of your basics are smartly designed and shopping for them is easy and convenient. They start from scratch. They engineered their own fabric, making sure the design process was meticulous so you can count on the fit being the same each time. And the difference at Mack Weldon is in the details. So they're obsessed over every stitch and seam until they reach their definition of perfect. They believe in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. And I think you'll agree with this. Mack Weldon may be the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, sweatpants, and more that you will ever wear. Uh, so for we have a special offer for listeners to the Daily Standard podcast. For 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com and enter promo code STANDARD at checkout. That's MacWeldon.com. Use promo code STANDARD at checkout for 20% off. Um, so let's talk about Don Blankenship, who, uh, according to some of these internal polls that uh, were obtained by the Weekly Standard yesterday – Maybe surging in that primary uh, caveat. Nobody knows uh, who's going to win this primary. But how awful would that be for the Republican Party if this guy who has uh, not even pretending not to play uh, you know, racist memes about the China persons in this campaign, who actually served a year in prison for the death of dozens of minors in a mine that, that he ran. If he wins this nomination, how awful will that be for the Republican Party? 
Do you want this, Ethan? Well, I was just going to say, it's really testing. Uh, so Donald Trump's famous claim that were he to shoot someone on Fifth Avenue, yep. he wouldn't lose. I mean, this is a man that was implicated in the death of 29. And let's see if that costs him in the West Virginia election. I think it's I don't really know or honestly particularly care what it does to the Republican Party, but it does say something about. Uh, <laughs> what motivates people to vote? I mean, were Don Blankenship to win, it's a vote of pure nihilism. I mean, you're embracing him simply because he's a jerk. I mean, that's the the only reason there is to vote for him. And that, to me, is is a frightening indicator about the <laughs> where we are as a country. Yeah. I So David Byler has a piece up on our site today, uh, just trying to go through the numbers on this and what happens when you nominate a candidate like Blankenship for uh, for a Senate seat, and his he ran some regression analyses on this and suggests that on average uh, a bad candidate can cost you about three points in a Senate race, uh, but that's just the average. And when you look out at the really bad candidates, it could be ten or twenty. Points. <laughs> you could wow. really, and this is Mansion's a pretty formidable candidate. Uh, I don't know. I mean, we really don't know. I mean, bl- the truth is Blankenship could win or he could finish with 14 uh, percent. I mean, the, the, we got like four quality polls, period, on this, uh, and nobody really knows. Uh, and it will also cutting across this is Blankenship is running as a sort of er Trump, but he's doing that with Trump having weighed in against him. So there's all sorts of cross currents. And I don't even know that we'll be able to learn any lessons from this. I mean, if Blankenship finishes at 15, uh, will we all then say, oh, it was Trump's tweet that killed him? I mean, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. We won't actually know because it could be that he was actually at 15 all along and the internal polling was just wrong on this. Of course, yeah, I, Trump's- I, I, don't, I don't think the implication, though, is limited to West Virginia. I mean, I, I, I think that basically you would blow a winnable seat, but it also then becomes nationalized in the way that Roy Moore um, became a nationalized figure. If the Republican Party nominates somebody like like Don Blankenship, and you know that Trump would endorse him in the general election, yep. and you know that that means that the RNC would endorse him, you know, suddenly this becomes the look what's happening to this party, look who is representing them, and it would feed into the the narrative that Ethan was was talking about, and also feed into the narrative that the you know Repu- Republican Party has no self control whatsoever, and it's you know has unleashed these forces that it can't control. Well, and we're we're I mean, whether the Republican Party dodges the bullet in West Virginia, they seem like they're unlikely to dodge it in Arizona. And there are a couple other you know little mini Trump candidates coming out and running. I know. Uh, I I don't know. I mean, part of me, frankly, then the nihilist part of me, kind of wants us to like let's just do it. Let, let, let's just put the pedal to the metal here and let's nominate Arapayo and <laughs> Kelly oh, War, you know, and, and Blankenship and just have, because I mean, look, I mean, we're, we're sitting here facing uh, this long, dirty war here over Trumpism and anti-establishmentism and all of that. And these fights go on for a long time because it's hard to get any clean victories and to actually it's make clarity. it. Yeah, to, to really know what's happening. Is it just that voters are mad and willing to do X or do they really want Y? Are they really reacting to Trump's policy positions and what they really want are the tariffs and the immigration restrictionism and the, the posturing is all something that they don't really care about? Or maybe they only care about the affect and they don't care about the policy. Like, let's just do this. Let's get all of these <laughs> many Trumps nominated and see what happens. Well, I think that was 
was exactly the point that our, our colleague and friend Chris Deaton got to in his piece on the Indiana Senate race, mm-hmm. where you, he could not find an inch of daylight in terms of policy issues that separated those three candidates that are running for that. The entire thing is about affect. And the guy, the businessman that's running against the two guys that he was calling Swamp Creed, I mean, he's just like, hey, I'm the biggest schmuck here, so therefore you should vote for me. I mean, that's a big part. I, Blankenship is more sort of floridly, you know, racist and uh, than the other West Virginia candidates. <laughs> but there are, it's the same deal. They're all competing to say, oh, no, I'll support Trump as much as the next guy. Affect clearly matters more than uh, studied policy positions. Yeah, and what wor- would worry me mm-hmm. if I, I mean, if I really believed in Trumpism and I was somebody over at like the you know, the American Greatness Mag or whatever, uh, is the extent to which the policy positions of Trumpism are being subsumed by the affect of boorishness, where Absolutely people, correct. The, yes. the, the the political lesson being taken at least by candidates here is that what's important is to act like Trump, not the, the being like Trump is, is, you know, unimportant, as you say. And I... Right, so again, what they're going to like to test this. What they're going to do is they're going to marry the plutocratic positions of Paul Ryan right. with the boorishness of Donald Trump. I mean, it's the worst of both worlds. Yeah, no, this is yes. clearly where yes. we're headed towards. Yes. Yes. Uh, which is essentially what the Trump administration has given us. I mean, this is the you know, the great secret of this is that we got, you know, the, the the big beautiful tax cut package is the Mitt Romney Chamber of Commerce tax cut package. Now, maybe you think that's good, maybe you think that's bad, but this is what we would have gotten had Romney won in 2012. It's a giant corporate tax cut with you know a little bit of tax cut for the middle class and maybe on the merits you think this is a good thing and that's fine but but it isn't populist there's nothing populist about it there's nothing different about it no yeah and so yeah I, I actually think that what we are because of course I always think everything winds up with the worst possible outcome I think the worst possible outcome of this is that we headed to a Republican politics where you get the the swamp creature policies married to the outsider affect and it's the worst of all worlds it, it, it is. And at, at, at the risk of being somewhat pedantic, because I'm slightly obsessed with uh, Hannah Arendt these days, I've actually written a, po- a piece about her, you know, her explaining about um, why people don't care about uh, politicians lying, this combination of uh, gullibility and cynicism. But she also talks about the role of vulgarity um, in, in in the rise of, of, of demagogues. That That's not a glitch. It is a feature that that it's kind of like taking a stand against the hypocrisy, the in-your-face, so that, that what you and I might think of as disqualifying transgressions actually become um, pluses in this, this sort of mob mentality that she describes. And, and basically, she basically says that, you know, that there's something liberating of like, you know, tearing off the mask and saying, yeah, okay, so we're vulgar, we're cruel, we're mean, we're going to embrace all of this. Um, yeah, he lies, but everybody lies. Uh, that that kind of a culture. And that, I think, is is part of this, this affect. Why you go for the craziest son of a bitch on the ballot. A um, couple of other things here. Uh, Oliver North named the new president of the NRA. Okay, that, that was a what-the-hell moment for me. Um, Oliver He's still North around? Is not... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, OK, that was exactly my point. Here's somebody who that seems like so 1980. I'm, I'm not saying that somebody who's 74 shouldn't get a good job. I'm not being ageist here. But why Oliver North at this particular point? Anybody have even a theory about that? I mean, I, I actually Dana Dana Lash would have been a more plausible um, choice or at least somebody who didn't hit their peak in 1987. No, this makes perfect sense. It's direct mail, right? I mean, so this is, if you think about the NRA membership and the membership, uh, the age and demographics of these things, you have a bunch of people who are aging in place, and one of the heroes they remember of their their 
political coming of age was the Iran-Contra hearings in Oliver North. And so when you send out, God knows how many pieces of direct mail the NRA sends out. Uh, and you, if you have anybody out there who is out there who has ever subscribed to a magazine or you know given money to a political candidate of either side, gets like 15 pieces of direct political come on direct mail a day from various interest groups, either left, right, or center, asking for their money. And this allows the NRA to put Ali North on on the front, uh, you know, cover of their direct mail stuff. Okay, a- actual news that has some significance: uh, the hearings for uh, Gina Haspel uh, today. Um, any predictions about whether or not Democrats will be able to block uh, her nomination as the next CIA director? I don't have a prediction, though. I have to say it's, an, you know, there are obviously reasonable debates to be had about the extent to which, uh, you know, the U.S. aired and the way it treated terrorists in, after 9-11, blah, 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 blah. But it really is demagoguery to say the Democrats and some Republicans oppose her because she's, quote, too tough on terrorists. I mean, that, that's like that's simply not addressing the question. And that has been the line that her defenders have taken. And I think it's an unfair one. And by the way, I'm not venturing an opinion one way or the other about her behavior. I just like... I despair at the level of discourse. Yeah, I mean, between that and playing the the woman card, yes, uh, she, yes, she does absolutely. seem to be highly respected within the intelligence community. I'm I'm not sure who the Democrats think that would be better in that particular job. Uh, I'm I'm just looking at the votes, and I'm not an expert either. You have uh, she's going to lose some Republican votes, but it looks like she's going to pick up enough Democratic votes uh, to to eke through on all of this. Uh, so we won't have her to kick around. So uh, by by tomorrow, we'll know a little bit about what the president's going to do with the Iran deal, how that plays into Korea. Uh, we managed to get through this entire podcast without mentioning Bob Mueller, without mentioning Rudy Giuliani. But don't worry, we do this every single day. Uh, gentlemen, thank you for joining me. I appreciate it very much. We covered a lot of ground this morning. Thank you. We may not have solved any of the world's problems, but we at least you know talked about a lot of stuff. And, and thank you. For listening to the Daily Standard Podcast, I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back tomorrow morning.